And so we said, well, we're not going to take anything for granted because if they're so wrong about this and it's a major thing, uh, what else are they wrong about? And so we started to go through all the most known diseases that people are familiar with to try and find, again, if there was any scientific evidence to prove a germ, either bacteria or viruses, were responsible. And uh, in every case, there were no scientific papers to prove these things. And there was much more probable reasons um, that were responsible for why the people were getting ill. Hello, beautiful humans. Don Lester and David Parker are authors of What Really Makes You Ill, a 700-page guidebook that took them over 10 years to research and write. They're the perfect guests to bring on after our recent talk with Alex Zek, who said, We are not required to provide a replacement explanation for what causes disease when we disprove the existing one. The existing one, of course, being germ theory, or as it turns out, all of virology. Don and David's book, and indeed much of their current life work, focuses on just that explanation. What does cause illness? We consider this a foundational conversation to terrain theory, both this podcast and the theory itself, which, as you'll discover when you listen, might be deserving of a label other than theory. In their book, Don and David break down into four helpful categories what causes illness, and we get into each one of them here, so you, dear listener, can walk away empowered by a new perspective that may just shape how you live moving forward. And lastly, before we jump in, I highly recommend you order their book. While we do get to some of its key findings, there is much we couldn't cover due to time constraints. And if we are going to collectively shift the paradigm away from fear, helplessness, and pseudoscience towards something better, something brighter, and something closer to truth, we see this book as one of the stepping stones on that path. This is our longest episode yet, so settle in. Welcome back to Terrain Theory. Don and David, welcome to the Terrain Theory Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank, thank you for inviting us. Yes, thank you. We were speaking on the pre-roll about terrain theory, that phrase, and David, you jumped in and said, well, we've got to be careful about using the word theory. Talk to me about that. Yes, um, because obviously the whole of our book over the <laughs> 10 years that we took to write it, we, of course, came across, as many people do, this uh, germ theory versus terrain theory. This popped up a lot. Now, whereas we try to make it quite clear to people that germ theory is just that, a theory, an, an unproven uh, thing, uh, whereas terrain, uh, the health of the body, uh, is quite provable. And uh, so really, it's not a case of terrain theory, it's about the terrain. Um, and people should sort of leave off the word theory because it's not a theory it's all very provable uh, whereas the germ theory is not so there's just making that distinction because it's easy for people to get trapped in words and uh, virology is one of those things isn't it where they corrupt the english language and uh, you know with things like isolation when they don't mean what we mean by isolation so we we try to be we're not being pedantic but we try to be a bit more careful about the use of words so that um, our intent and meaning is quite clear 
and that there's no confusion. I, th- I think, yes, because part of that is that if you're saying germ theory versus terrain theory, it tends to suggest that they both have an equal standing. You know, they, they, com- they are comparable, whereas, um, you know, again, the evidence is um, behind the idea of the terrain, which is really how the body actually works. You know, it, it is affected by its terrain, um, by what uh, the body is exposed to, and so what goes into the body, and also what the, what you're exposed to in your external environment. So, you know, there is a, a lot of evidence that the terrain is uh, is affected. So again, it's but it's it you know it's, yeah, so- again not being pedantic, but just trying to really put the weight of evidence to show that you know how it, the terrain represents how the body works. Yeah, it's we we try to break things down into simple terms, which are sort of takeaway things like the terrain is what you put in and on your body. And if you take care of what you put in and on your body, your terrain will remain healthy. You know, the body will remain healthy and will be able to uh, heal itself. Because again, as we say, only the body can heal itself and you can either help it or hinder it. And for the most part, the medical establishment hinder those healthy healing processes so this is what terrain's all about it's letting the body uh, look after itself and for us as individuals to to provide it with what it needs so that it can keep its terrain healthy and it can heal itself if it comes into contact with toxic materials some of the things that we're most likely going to talk about uh, uh, during the course of our chat I mean, there are obviously lots of details about how the body works that are still being looked into. And there are, you know, lots of um, uh, different ideas that are coming out about certain aspects of the body. So, again, there are still um, there's still knowledge to be gained about how the body actually works. But in, in the it's the general uh, overall concept of um, what you put in and on your body, what you're exposed to that will um, affect your health. Sounds like what we're talking about is uh, terrain management. And of course, there are variables which are within our control. And then as you start to, as you guys have done at length, you do the research, there's many variables that unfortunately are outside of our control. Um, You know, the toxic stew that unfortunately our cultures uh, now exist within. And we're all learning more about how to navigate that. Quite so. And part of the goal of of this specific episode is to leave the listener with an understanding of what is the what are the difference between those things that you can control and what are those things that perhaps we can't control but would light the fire of the activist within an individual to okay there are there are clearly aspects to this culture and society that we need to focus our attention on if we're going to start making some corrections here and limit those numbers of of toxins or exposures to poisons yeah and i want to backtrack real quick it's really interesting that you use the word pedantic when we had tom cowan on we asked him to define health and it was (laughs) it was uh opening a pandora's box and he became very specific around words. He said it's very important that we are clear and concise when we when we speak of any sort of word and we throw that out there. And, and it's almost incumbent upon those of us in this side of the conversation around terrain to make sure we're very clear about the definitions of things. And so I think we are obligated to be somewhat pedantic to make sure we're all understanding first, where are we coming at this? What is disease? What is health? 
what is terrain because until we have a common understanding with those that we're trying to you know wake up i suppose is the is the phrase until we have that common understanding and we're on that common ground we're talking in in different languages mm, so, i agree entirely uh, yeah so we will we will uh, grant that we have uh, we have to allow for a little bit of pedantic uh, as, we, as we go into this conversation. Yes, because, I mean, we do make quite clear in the book, you know, t- um, when we talk about certain terms, you know, we, we define the terms, um, even if the definition is not necessarily, I mean, the official definition may not actually be correct, but it's to show what the definitions <laughs> right. are. And then it helps, you know, to explain what what's going on and then show the contradictions in that explanation uh, when they occur. And the other, the other, point that you made around we're still learning so much about how the human body works makes me think of a point that Alex Eck brought up on a recent um, conversation with him, and that is that the funding for the research is coming from institutions whose very existence depends on perpetuating the virology myth or pseudoscience. Yeah. We have a paucity of funding going towards the research around the human body and how it works that would take us closer to, I think, what we would all say is truth, right? And understanding around the biology of belief. You you cite Dr. Bruce Lipton in your book numerous times. I was delighted to see that um, because that that book for me helped shift a paradigm in the understanding. But you look at what he's talking about, epigenetics and thoughts over bodies. And you talk about that with stress, but we need more research on that because we are every day, all day in our waking time, even as we're sleeping, subjected to the programming that goes on in the background, subjected to our thoughts and and our thoughts are, are impacted by the things that we consume. And if we don't have a clear understanding of the health ramifications of all those things, which is just one subset of how the human body works, we're sort of at sea. We're yeah. lost at sea, and we have less control over our health outcomes. We do um, quite a, a lot more in our talks now, as you, as you may realize that uh, we've written uh, another book, which is about the nature of reality. In fact, that was our very first book, uh, which is nothing to do really with health, but there's health aspects to it. Um, and that was, we're talking over 15 years ago now. But that very much shows uh, the importance of thoughts, beliefs, consciousness in general, and what the nature of this reality is about, and the nature of what we are as beings, whatever people might think of that. We're much more complex, and there's a lot more to us than just flesh and blood. But without going into that, that's a separate conversation altogether. But, um, but related. But, but related, <laughs> yes, they're all, all interrelated. And that's where the thoughts and beliefs come into it, because, um, you know, our beliefs and thoughts uh, can have, uh, you know, a physical effect, you know. I mean, even the medical establishment is familiar with the placebo and nocebo effect, positive mm-hmm. and negative effects of beliefs on the body when they use sugar pills in their drug trials. So very powerful thing. Uh, and so we do bring that more and more in to our conversations with people so they can see just how important it is to have the right thoughts about themselves and about their fears, and uh, hopefully we can diminish and completely eradicate many of those fears, particularly around germs, so that they have no fear that they're going to contract something if someone breathes on them or sneezes near them or something like that, because that's a complete myth. And uh, a big fear 
that can be taken away because uh, we come across a lot where people, um, because they believe someone in the office sneezing on them can give them a cold <clears throat> because they don't understand what's happening and uh, they can actually uh, exhibit those symptoms. Uh, but as we know, there is no germ that can be transferred. So these are to do with some other reason. They may be just detoxing or it may be because of their belief. And we, we've come across people that we've talked to who literally, once they could get rid of the belief of the office cold being passed around, they never had office colds anymore because they knew <laughs> people sneezing in the office was not going to have any effect. So it's very powerful and uh, very practical uh, that people can uh, see it uh, in action, as it were. It's incredibly liberating. Uh, as, I, as I start to walk through my day without that belief system that I'm going to get exposed to things that are going to make me sick because someone's coughing, someone's sneezing, without that fear, I feel incredibly, I feel liberated, I feel free, I feel empowered, uh, and I feel almost invincible. Now I understand, yes, like there's still things I could eat and put in my body or get exposed to that might cause that disease, which we will get into, but that aspect alone, there, there's something to walking through your day without that fear upon yeah. you uh, that I wish to impress upon the listener because going down this journey is that ultimately is freeing and liberating and it feels really good. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. It does require people to take responsibility and mm -hmm. that may be the stumbling block for many people because it means they have real well, they may realize or they will need to realize that they may have to take, uh, make a lot of changes and take responsibility for things and they might not want to make those changes and you have to say well that's their choice but at least if they have the information um, it will be a more informed choice although possibly they may not want the information because then then they may have to do something about it but again it, it's um, uh, we think people should have the information so that they could then have the ability to make an informed choice about what they do in their daily lives and the the fear aspect, I, I think, is is really really important because that's one of the main um, um, messages that, that's being put out on a daily basis. Uh, that's really trying to keep us or or keep people in fear. And the more people that come out of that and realise that they are artificial stories that they don't have to give any energy to it is as you say very liberating empowering and it means they can have a very different kind of uh, experience their daily experiences will improve when they are not coming from a place of fear every single day fear is very debilitating mm. you know as we say it's not only a psychological effect that it has but you know it's a physiological effect it has and we may i'm sure we'll get to talk about the, how stress, how it actually has a physical effect on the body. Um, but anyway, we, we perhaps uh, digress slightly from where. <laughs> we, we, are, we welcome digression. So definitions, you mentioned isolation. I think that's a, an, an easy segue into what is the can of worms for this conversation, and that is what convinced you that viruses don't cause disease? Okay, well... As, I mean, that was the first thing that we came across. I won't go into uh, too much detail, but uh, when we were writing the book I mentioned about the nature of reality um, all those years ago, 15 or more years ago, of course, we didn't know anything that we know now. 
we believed all the same things everyone else believed, you know, that germs did make you ill, vaccines, uh, you know, gave you immunity, that doctors were based in science and everything they did was based in science. That's what we believed because that's what we were brought up to believe. Education is, uh, or indoctrination as we've come to call it, is uh, quite a dangerous thing. Um, but as we did our research, um, because we needed to know something about viruses, and we realised at that time, all those years ago, that we didn't really know very much, uh, and that was the start of it. Uh, we we looked for the information, we started to look at diseases, and it just so happened, if you believe in coincidences, which we don't, um, the first thing <laughs> we looked at was HIV-AIDS. You know, quite a biggie, because, uh, you know, we grew up, we were adults in the 80s, so we were all scared uh, by the... Uh, the mainstream media and the health authorities who were telling us that uh, AIDS was going to spread from the homosexual community into the heterosexual community and that, uh, well, they put a figure on it, you know, that at least 50 million people worldwide are going to die. And we got the mainstream media, certainly in the UK, uh, putting up, uh, you know, pictures of rows of tombstones and, you know, there were... So we've seen a lot of the things in the 80s that have been repeated, you know, the same game plan uh, over COVID, you know, the same load of nonsense, the same lack of science. So only it was ramped up, it's been ramped it's up. It's been in ramped the last up a lot more, years. yeah. So we we started to look, we thought, well, okay, uh, as we started to look at it, we realized that there were two schools of thought. There were a group of people well-qualified people like uh, Carrie Mullis, for instance, who was around, and uh, Professor Peter Duisberg. And Stefan Lanker. And Stefan Lanker, yeah, We came yeah. across his work at that, you know, when we were looking at that too. And, and, they, um, and they were all saying there's, there's no virus, there is no scientific evidence for a virus causing uh, HIV AIDS. Uh, but, of course, then there was the Gallows and uh, Robert Gallo and the others who were saying, of course there is, and Robert Gallo claimed to have uh, discovered the virus. <clears throat> but like... Uh, the people I've just mentioned, we looked for the scientific papers because there should be scientific papers for anyone who makes a claim like that. Well, I've discovered a new disease. I've discovered a virus that causes it, whatever. There should be a scientific paper that proves it. And uh, we couldn't find anything. And so it was good to see that um, Carrie Mullis <laughs> was also looking for those papers because he wanted to, at that time, he thought they, they should be there. And um, he wanted to reference them for some of the work that he was doing. And uh, without going into too much detail, he found also that those papers do not exist. And uh, Professor Peter Duisberg, the same. And they were very well qualified in their fields to to look deeply into it. And so we followed what they were doing, Dr. Stefan Lanker as well, of course. And we realized this was opening a big tin of worms, you know, that there was no evidence for this deadly virus that uh, were supposed to cause AIDS. So, you know, without going into the full story, unless you want us to, as to the research that we went into with HIV AIDS to show that it was not, I mean, it's all in the book, of course, to show that there is no virus, there is no disease. It's all very easily explainable uh, by the sort of uh, recreational drug regime that the guys were using in San Francisco and then the introduction to them of AZT, which was the real killer. And as we know from talking to doctors during our research, you know, the, the, certainly the level of AZT they were giving killed everyone. I mean, everyone, you know, including people like uh, Freddie Mercury and Arthur Ashe and many others. So 
we realized there was a big problem and that was that was really the start of it for us and so we said well we're not going to take anything for granted because if they're so wrong about this and it's a major thing uh, what else are they wrong about and so we started to go through all the most known diseases that people are familiar with to try and find again if there was any scientific evidence to prove a germ either bacteria or viruses were responsible and uh, in every case there were no scientific papers to prove these things and there was much more probable reasons um, that were responsible for why the people were getting ill and uh, that's really what we spent our 10 years of uh, gathering that information to put into the book and that's why it's <laughs> nearly 800 pages um, to, and, and we've referenced it. There's 40 pages of references so people can check our work to make sure it's not something we've made up. Um, and so that, that was it. As, as the, the proverbial rabbit hole opened up, we realized there was no evidence for any disease we could find. And this included animal diseases. We looked at animal diseases as well. And it was the same. And uh, we, in the end, boiled it down to, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it, what we call the four factors, which we found uh, that a combination, one or more of those four factors, was always at the root of why someone gets ill. And we started to use the word illness rather than disease, because as we said earlier in this conversation, many words are loaded and people, as soon as you say disease, they think of some infection, something transferable, contagion, whatever. It's a loaded word, the same as viruses. Um, so we try to say, no, it's illness. People become ill. They, don't, they do not catch a disease. There are, uh, in fact, there are no different diseases. Uh, there are just different bodily symptoms, uh, depending on what it is that's made the meal out of the four factors. The other thing is that it doesn't just apply to uh, what we uh, call so-called infectious diseases. You know, these are all conditions um, uh, that are manifestations of the body trying to look after itself because that's what the body does all the time. It's trying to look after itself, keep itself functioning as best it can under the circumstances. So again, it's to correct the circumstances that will then... Um, stop the body from having the difficulties that it has. It's not about being perfect, but again, um, so, you know, we, again, looking at uh, what are called infectious diseases, but we also had to look at what are called non-infectious or non-communicable diseases. So, you know, things like heart disease and cancer. And again, you know, so we, we do cover those as well. And, and realising that there are no, uh, that there is no such thing as a, as a disease that you get so again this is all to do with language and when people say oh yes but I got no no you didn't get a disease you didn't catch a disease you know it wasn't you know your genes or you you know germs or whatever it is you don't get them the, these are conditions that are built up within the body that manifest as symptoms um, but it, that, that's difficult for, for a lot of people to really see that different definition but I, I, I think people are you know, more people are getting it. There are a few hurdles for an individual to to cross over. They're all important and beneficial. I appreciate the reframing from disease to something like illness. I want to go back real quick. When you said sure. you could not find papers to support that a virus caused disease, could, do you mean that there, there are papers that claim hmm. 
but is the distinction that they simply weren't using credible processes or methodology. That's what you mean? That's correct. I mean, there are quite a number, particularly when the whole COVID nonsense uh, hit the world. Um, there was quite a few claims, not least of which was uh, a so-called, uh, so-called scientific paper that appeared in the journal Nature, which, as I often remind people, is supposed to be the most prestigious scientific journal in the world with all peer-reviewed. And we do talk about the nonsense of peer review. We may get onto that. Um, and that was examined. We looked at that. And fortunately, so did uh, Dr. Andy Kaufman. And he did a very good breakdown of the nonsense in that paper, where they claimed, as all of these papers claim, to have, um, you know, properly isolated, purified, uh, genetically characterized and proved that it causes whatever disease that they're claiming it is, and in this case, particularly the COVID. Um, but when you read through, and that's what it would say in the abstract, the first sort of paragraph, which is all most people read, including doctors, uh, they don't go through the methodology. And it's when you go through the methodology, which is rather tedious and full of technical jargon, um, but once you break it down, you realize that they haven't done anything of the sort. And uh, that is exactly the case with not only the one that was published in uh, Nature Journal, which is, um, well, such a, a fraud and a lie, because it's easy to see that it doesn't do what it claims and should never have been published, particularly there, and particularly because they claim it's all peer-reviewed. Well, their peer-reviewed process is obviously no good whatsoever. Um, and all the others follow the same thing because, as we found when we've investigated virology, and I know you've talked about this on your show before, so I won't go into too much detail. When you look at the methodology of virology, you realize it's a, it's a flawed procedure and he's not going to prove anything. And Dr. Stefan Lanker, who is a trained virologist, um, has demonstrated that a number of times and published the information on the internet for anyone who cares to look at it. And it's very easy to see that right back from 1954, when uh, Anderson Peebles were trying to prove a virus caused measles, uh, they're using the same methodology now and over the last, what, 70 odd years or whatever it is, since 1954, they use the same uh fraudulent really methodology and certainly unscientific which doesn't prove anything you know as i, I won't uh, go through the procedure unless you want me to but um it's it's quite obvious when you look at it it doesn't prove anything as dr stefan lankin lanker has shown it doesn't prove anything but of course it suits the purpose of the pharmaceutical companies because then they claim they've got a new virus and that they can produce a vaccine from it and of course virologists themselves like doctors are only carrying out what they've been trained to do and uh, when we looked at the education of mainly doctors um, as we often point out it's not that doctors or virologists for that matter are evil people who just want to deceive the public to make money and keep themselves in a in a nice job it's it's not that it's just that they've been indoctrinated, we'll use that word rather than educated, they've been indoctrinated to think that what they do is correct. And it's, as I say, it's exactly the same for doctors and virologists. They never stop to actually, until they become enlightened, they never stop to examine the methodology they've been taught and see whether it actually has a scientific basis. 
and um, virology certainly does not. You know, virology is not a scientific procedure at all, and uh, and neither is uh, allopathic medicine. You know, they have lots of technology, but they do not understand health. They do not understand illness, and um, and that's where the problem starts, and uh, why we have the tragedy that we've had for the last 150 years, and particularly over the last nearly three years now, uh, with this COVID nonsense. It's all about um, uh, misinformation and, uh, from the doctor's point of view, um, uh, to be ill-informed, ill-educated in the procedures of health. Um, well, they're not taught about health. I mean, no, many, no. many doctors we've spoken to, you know, they their medical school training um, teaches them how to manage disease. And and most, uh, well, many of the, you know, more honest ones will, will say, yes, you know, we're taught how to manage disease. You know, I mean, they're taught anatomy, so they know about the different parts of the body. And then, of course, the whole system is, or medical system is designed to create special uh, specialisms so that, you know, you have people who specialize in in different areas of the body and so a cardiologist won't understand um or won't know anything about sort of other parts of the body they'll know about the heart but not how it's all interconnected and and the body just cannot be regarded in that way it is a, a an interconnected organism and what goes into the body will affect all parts of the body it's not just the part that um, that they believe will be affected by their so-called medicines. You know, these pharmaceuticals, they, they claim to target a particular area, um, but it may be that that chemical will affect that area, but it has a whole load of other effects in other parts of the body. I mean, we do say that, you know, there's no such thing as a side effect. They're all direct effects. And, in fact, I've, I've recently heard um, uh, another sort of, a highly qualified sort of medical doctor saying pretty much the same thing and I, I, you know it's really um gratifying to know that you know we we're what we're saying is you know in line with the the kind of enlightened doctors who, who are aware of the real problems and you know who have come out of that allopath, allopathic model um but it is of course you know it is a trap for those doctors who are trained in that way because if they look and try and find other ways to operate their practices you know they are attacked in all kinds of ways and um, they can have their licenses taken away or they can be stopped from practicing they can be fined there's all sorts of horrible things that can happen Um, and so you you know you understand why they may be reluctant unfortunately now's not the time to to sort of stay in that space because there's a lot going on in the world at the moment that uh you know, people need to speak out because there's there's a lot going on that's going to uh, really reduce our freedoms unless something happens. And that's also why it's important to help the public understand that there is there are no deadly, invisible enemies out there that, that can make them ill and then that will stop them hopefully from um, becoming afraid and then realising that, you know, they don't have to follow all the measures that they've been told to and then that's one of the ways one of the many possible solutions out of this the people just say well sorry you're not going to scare me about something that doesn't exist yeah. you know it's, it's a question of coming from a place of confidence uh, as you say you know retraining how how you use the language and when you say 
you know, no, I haven't got anything. I, you know, yeah, I was sneezing, something irritated my nose, you know, and it's so much easier to take that uh, perspective and it's so much more confident. And then hopefully, as you say, if people then ask you about it, you know, you can explain things to them if, if they're open-minded. So that's just, how this will spread around. Just uh, in case it wasn't covered, I'm sure it perhaps was, but just to spend a few more minutes on the nonsense of virology claims um, is to talk about the supposed genome that they're supposed to have for uh, for the virus. And um, as we often point out to people, you can sometimes catch them out in their words when they all say words like it's an in silico genome. And they've sort of told you something there without most people realizing what they've been told, because when they've said it's an in silico genome, they mean it exists basically in a silicon chip only in a computer. And that's precisely what it is. So they have not constructed or isolated or in any way scientifically uh, demonstrated that they have the genome of the virus. First of all, they would have had to have isolated the virus, which they've never done. So they would never have been able to construct the genome of it. And when you realize that it only exists in a computer, constructed by a computer of what it believes it might look like, you realize that you're into a load of nonsense. And then when, of course, they talk about uh, variants of the virus, again, as we point out to people, they only exist in computer programs. None of these variants, so-called variants, have ever been isolated or shown to exist in reality. Uh, they're no more real than uh, unicorns, you know. As I often say to people, you know, you can see lots of pretty pictures of unicorns, but if you ask to see a real unicorn, uh, then that's where the whole thing falls over. And it's exactly the same with uh, <clears throat> virus genomes and variants. You know, if you want to see the real proof, it's not there. And that's for all, all of these uh, so-called viruses and variants. Yes, one of the other words that they use when they're talking about the genomes is assembly. They assemble and so if you're assembling, you're not detecting something that actually exists. You're actually creating something. Um, In a computer. And so therefore, it's it's not something that, that's real. Again, it's learning to look for the language and really read what um, what's being written rather than thinking that these people actually know what they're talking about. So you know, we, it, we often advise people that uh, the short answer is, if it's coming out of the mouths of virologists, just discount it because it's not a science and it will just mislead you. And they will come up with all sorts of convoluted arguments as to why they think they're right. So just discount it at the start because virology <laughs> is not a science. And that's really for the general public is just go, oh, well, it's a virologist said this or it's a virology paper. So I just won't bother with it. And that's the easiest way. There's a, there's a real direness to the entire conversation because because it's it is the very foundation of all the policy that's happening that's that's being written that's being imposed upon us it is the foundation of how the majority of the planet approaches their health and their entire life uh and it is also the foundation or the cause of so much death that mm -hmm. modern medicine is the third leading cause of death. Iatrogenic death is third yeah. leading cause. And, and this is the system itself that is causing 
all this death, all this hardship, stripping the freedoms away from us. And I respect, <laughs> uh, I respect your restraint in conversations like this because I, f- as from a human perspective, I flip flop back and forth between trying to allow for grace and space to those around me who might not be in the same place on the journey, and uh, anger at the system. Um, and feeling a, a real desperation, a real desperate energy to tear it down as fast as possible. Mm. And that requires the understanding the, of the masses around me. Yes. I want to backtrack real quick to the genetic sequencing and impress upon the listener, and perhaps we can get into this a little bit more, impress upon the, the listener that it was the, the flawed genetic sequencing that has become the basis of the case-demic that is COVID and really all the science, quote unquote, that is supporting every aspect of it, including the injections, right? From the PCR test, which Kerry Mullis invented and said straight out, this is not to be used as a diagnostic. Exactly. Uh, the, the, the initial PCR test was based on that sequencing, not on actual isolation of a virus, which we can say doesn't exist. Uh, and so the PCR test that has been used to create these policies and these lockdowns and these quarantines because it ratcheted up case count uh, is all flawed. That entire thing is fraudulent. And I try to impress this upon my friends who are going, still going and getting PCR tests and sending text messages and images of their positive. And it's all I can do not to hit my head against the wall and go, <laughs> this is, you know, you are fooling yourself. You're being fooled. And now you're just perpetuating uh, fooling everyone else around you. Um, so from the PCR test, which is the basis of everything, uh, and then the jabs themselves, correct? Yeah. And so the question is, what what is in those things? Well, as, as you no doubt know, no one, maybe apart from Pfizer and the other manufacturers, know exactly what's in those vaccines because they've kept most of it secret. And uh, it was only when they were forced to re- reveal some of it uh, that uh, they did so. But uh, we don't believe that they've actually told us the full extent. Now, there's been independent testing of various vaccines uh, from various of the manufacturers, mostly Pfizer, I think, by independent people who've come up with all sorts of quite uh, um, horrifying things. Uh, but a lot of it is speculation, and I and a, and a lot of it is unproven. Um, there's talk of, and I have seen a lot of these photographs. I've tried to follow it as as closely as we can, where there appears to be um, nanoparticles in the uh, some of the vaccines. Now, people have speculated that these nanoparticles may then be, and they've used the word self-assembling which is not something I like at all because that implies intelligence and I don't believe that there is anything in that. Now, I mean, obviously, if there are nanoparticles in them, uh, which there does appear to be, um, that does mean to say that they shouldn't be there, let's face it. There shouldn't be anything like that. And they are harmful. And they are harmful. Nanoparticles, whether it's just aluminium or whatever, is is very harmful because it can get into places in the body that it uh, really has no place being so you know so our advice always to people is well there is nothing good about any vaccines and we've studied and it's all in the book uh, the whole history of vaccines and this present one is i know they call it a jab rather than a vaccine technically it's not a vaccine but we'll call it that for sake of argument it's something they're going to and wish to inject into your body 
and nothing that they inject into your body has ever been proven to be safe and effective. It's as simple as that. They've been shown to cause lots of harm and even death. And even Pfizer, if it's still on their website, if you look at their so-called list of, (laughs) they still call them side effects, as Dawn said, we call them direct effects, obviously, Um, out of their half a dozen to 15, whatever it was, so-called side effects, one of them was death. You know, well, that's the only one you need to know about, really, isn't it? As I often say to people, if they are admitting that one of the side effects of their vaccine will kill you, well, surely that's not something you want to do. You wouldn't want to risk that, would you? Especially but I, but when I think, they're saying that the but, vaccine, all the vaccine, all this jab is supposed to do is just uh, slightly reduce the actual symptoms. You know, it's not even uh, claimed to be able to stop the disease. Not that there is such a disease as, as COVID anyway. Like you said, you know, it's case-demic. Um so, you know, why, why, would risk, any, why would anyone want to take that risk? Yes. But, but the thing is, you see, people are not informed, are they? You know, they're not informed that they're actually taking part in a drug trial because it's supposed to go on to 2023 in Pfizer's terms. So people are taking part in a drug trial, which they should be legally informed about, and they're not. And they should also be legally informed about the possible side effects of the drug that they're being subjected to and again they're not and I'm sure if most of the people lining up to have their jab were told did you realize that one of the side effects of this is it could kill you I'm pretty sure their que- the queues of people waiting to be jabbed would diminish very quickly but of course they're not told that and neither are the people administering the jabs so th- they are um, they-, they are taking part in quite an illegal activity which flouts everything that was agreed to in the Nuremberg Code and uh, and flouts everything that you could consider ethical and safe. So, uh, and the, as I say, so it's doctors and the people carrying out the injections are all taking part in an illegal activity. And one day there will be re- a reckoning over this, and um, which needs to happen, but we need to stop it as soon as possible because it literally is killing people in their thousands worldwide, tens of thousands, really. I mean, we know that in the UK, even with our government's own, what's called their yellow card system, which is filled in by doctors who are supposed to report any adverse events and deaths that are directly attributable to the jab. And even under the government reports that there's at least, there's over 2,000 people died directly as a as a result of the jab. Now, because we know that only 2 or 3% of doctors actually fill in those yellow cards, you can multiply that figure by a great deal. Um, but even having said that, we know that in the past, you know, if someone, even five people, had died from a drug, they would be withdrawn from the market. And yet, they are admitting that over 2,000 people have died. This is just in the UK. And yet, they're still telling us that it's safe and effective and we should all have it. Now, this to me is just criminal beyond belief and the governments are fully complicit um, and so is the medical establishment. So we are dealing with uh, criminal activities and and a criminal regime worldwide, which is quite horrifying. So all the more reason why we have to do everything we can to inform the public and bring it to a halt because it's 
because we're dealing, and I'll use the words, because we're dealing with criminals as regards the authorities, we, can, we can't rely on them to do the right thing. And obviously they're not doing the right thing because they've kept this going for over two years now, knowing full well what's happening. So it's only the public that's going to make the change. And it's only the uh, supplying them with the correct information. So as Dawn said earlier, they can make these informed decisions and just say no. That's all people need to do is just say no, simple thing. And uh, it will all be over. If people don't comply with these ridiculous and dangerous regulations, then it will come to an end. And not until the public en masse actually wake up and stop complying with these very dangerous measures. Okay. Now, I, <laughs> rant know, over. I know, yes, a rant over. Um, but uh, <laughs> but as you like, say, like I mean... you, I have to contain myself because, because this is a real tragedy that's happening worldwide. And we know the thousands of people that have died or been maimed by it. And so it's very difficult to keep a civil tongue in your head. Uh, when you're talking about it. Because, but at the same uh, <laughs> time, it's it's still trying to make the message as clear as possible rather than just shout and be angry because I don't think necessarily people would be too receptive the, to mm. that kind of attitude. Um, but also it's, it's I, I don't, you know, I don't think people generally like to be told what to do, as it were. So it's a question of, well, here's the information. If you're mm. interested, go and have a look at it. There's there's plenty of evidence to back it up. This is this is the information we found. This is, uh, you know, it's backed up by the evidence. There's the evidence. Please go and have a look. You know, we're not saying you, you have to believe us because we're saying it. No, but this is the information. Please go and have a look for yourself because, you know, your health depends on it and probably your own your life depends on it so if you care about those things then please please do go and have a look um but i think you know if we put it in across in in those kind of ways people are hopefully more likely to be receptive than to be shouted at and ranted <laughs> at that some well i mean there, there are there are let's just say you know we know certain people who, who operate in that way and some people like it, but it's, <clears> you know, it doesn't suit everyone. And, and and I know there are plenty of people who, you know, probably won't listen to us. That's fine. You know, we're all trying to put the information out in different ways and hopefully certain people We do know we're having an effect. Oh, yes. Because we know from book sales around the world, uh, which our book sells into 13 different countries, it's been translated into... Uh, French, Dutch, and it's been translated into Japanese. So we know people are waking up, they're taking this on board. We know from the feedback we get from people that write to us, and so, and it's very heartwarming when people say, your book has changed my life, uh, or your book has saved my life. You know, I mean, you can't ask for better than that. So it encourages, encourages us to keep going and to do what we do because um, – it's so important. And for people like yourselves, you know, you're, you're doing the same thing. And we're all doing this in our different ways because we know it's only by talking to the people because governments aren't going to listen. They don't listen um, because they have other vested interests. There are other people pulling their strings. You know, we, we know this. Um, so we, we can only appeal to the people and it's the people will make the change. And uh, so that's what we do. But I know that... Uh, from the email you sent us, um, the questions you wanted to ask, we've not actually touched on any of them yet, really. So I don't know whether 
whether we want to start with, uh, I know your first one was about malnutrition. Sure. So we can pivot to the book because we're now, you know, we're back on what really makes you ill, which is the the seminal work, 700 pages, took over 10 years for you two to, to put together. And you very helpfully in the final chapter, one of the final chapters, break down for the reader, what are those four things? What are those four categories of things that can make you ill? And so for the listener, uh, this is this is your takeaway. This should also encourage you to go and, and get this book. And I'll, I put that at the intro. I'm going to put it at the, at the outro as well. This is uh, the, the handbook, the Bible that everyone should have at their bedside table. Uh, hands down, this is it. And so those four categories, I want to just dive into real quick so we understand what they are, maybe what the effects are, and how the listener can address it. And so the first one, well, the four of them are malnutrition or nutrition, um, toxins, uh, electromagnetic radiation exposure, and then stress. So yeah. let's start with that first one, nutrition or malnutrition. Okay. Well, um, and, and we'll try and keep it brief because I know we've taken up a lot of time uh, talking about the other stuff. Um, yeah, th- this is one of the four factors. And nutrition, we found, is extremely important because of how the body works. Um, because when the body is assaulted, shall we say, by toxins uh, or, or anything that adversely affects the body, and, it, and it's all of these things, um, it produces uh, some things called free radicals. Okay. Now, as we discovered, um, and there's quite a lot of literature on this, and uh, we, we talk about quite a bit of it in the book, free radicals um, cause what's called uh, oxidative oxidative stress. Now, what, what it, are, it is in simple terms is... Um, when an atom, a molecule, uh, loses an electron, <laughs> um, it takes on a, it becomes positive, and that's what a free radical is. And a free radical will can cause damage because it it wants to pull back an electron because it's missing an electron, and it becomes a scavenger and will pull an electron from anywhere it can get it really. So it can damage cells and tissue. Um, by doing this, and we're talking about lots of these, obviously. So uh, when the body's poisoned in some way, uh, um, that creates in the body, as I say, these free radicals and uh, causes then oxidative stress, which is damaging to the body, and then manifest as some sort of uh, illness. Okay, And if not addressed, becomes more and more serious until you start to get organ damage uh, or tumours, you know, hence cancers and this sort of thing. But this is where it starts. So it's a it's a progressive thing. And the body's pr- production of free radicals is a natural thing. It does it just uh, vigorous exercise. You know, you'll produce more uh, free radicals. Uh, but the body's, and this is where the body's nutrition is very important because your correct diet of fruit and vegetables uh, contain lots of antioxidants. And antioxidants neutralize free radicals. So under the bodies, when the terrain is healthy, that natural process goes on and whatever free radicals are produced are neutralized by the antioxidants. So you can see that there's this synergy required so that if you are have a poor nutritious diet, the free radicals will not be mopped up and so they start to cause damage to cells and tissue and uh, sickness, illness occurs. And if it's prolonged, as I say, it can become chronic. So that's why nutrition is very important. And surprisingly, or maybe not, 
why doctors are only only taught about nutrition for about an hour and a half in their entire five years training. So it's not surprising that uh, they don't understand nutrition or its importance. So that's why we make a big play of it um, in, in, in our book to explain its importance. Okay, so <clears throat> I mean, I know people will be familiar with all sorts of uh, illnesses that have occurred in the past, like scurvy and pellagra and things like that, where uh, certain vitamins and minerals uh, caused um, illnesses. But the basis of why it causes those illnesses is uh, are free radicals. And as we found, and we'll see as we go through uh, the other factors, it's the production of free radicals and the failure to eliminate them that is really the root cause of the manifestations of illness in its various forms. Okay. From real quickly, I want to stop you because there has been a lot of conversation around uh, uh, worldwide soil depletion resulting in crops that have fewer vitamins and minerals uh, yeah. than maybe decades ago. So my question to you is, is even if one was to eat uh, the, a well-balanced diet, maybe not our you know, FDA's food triangle, but uh, organic, non-GMO fruits, vegetables, you know, maybe some animal meats, um, is that still going to be enough given that the foods today just aren't as nutrient dense? Are they lacking some of those antioxidants and where else would you make up for that? Well, you use the word organic, organically grown. And that of course is the key. And uh, nothing's perfect as, as you know, but you stand a much better chance of getting um, because of the rules and regulations that if it's organic, then that the soils, because the soils have to be checked as well by the soil association. So it should, as you rightly say, contain the right levels of minerals uh, for the plants to uptake so that they can then pass them on to you when you eat them. So we, I mean, Don and I are, uh, well, we're vegans, uh, but certainly we've been plant-based for many decades. Um, so we know that that's a good diet. Now we know lots of people would, uh, uh, not agree with that and would want to think that meat is uh, important, even essential. Well, we're, you know, we're living proof along with millions of others. I mean, I've been uh, plant-based for 50 years. So I think I would have found out by now if it was essential that I ate meat. And and we don't supplement either. So you don't need to go down to your local health food store and spend lots of money on supplements because most of them are the, the body can't assimilate them anyway. Most of them are made by um, the pharmaceutical industry, and so they are uh, synthetic chemicals anyway that, as David said, the body can't assimilate, and so therefore um, they can't absorb. But the other thing is to um, – you, you can't look at supplements or you can't look at individual vitamins or minerals because, again, that's not how the body works. Within foods, there's always a complex mixture of – uh, vitamins and minerals and some of them have been um, so-called discovered you know isolated whatever but there are thousands of phytonutrients at, at sort of tiny levels that are, haven't even been uh, sort of looked at or labeled or numbered or whatever um, that, that are within the complex um, substances that are the whole foods and so it's always better to um, to source as much as possible uh, from whole foods um, but we agree that you know the, the soils are depleted. But it's not it's not a question of adding the supplements that um, as foods. But the the sort of uh, supplementation should be for the soil. 
the other thing is um, boosts you can sort of boost your intake of um nutrients by juicing fruit and vegetables so you you know you're getting i mean no you're not getting the fiber as long as you're having the fiber don't have the juices instead of the whole foods it's it's as an extra but you can sort of increase your intake of um nutrients by by juices and again the other thing is is to have a variety not just have you know one or two fruits it's to have a a range and then chances are you're getting a a wide range of all these different nutrients within these foods which are whole foods they have complex mixtures of nutrients and in many cases certain nutrient the body requires nutrients um different nutrients to be able to absorb Yes, yes, you've got got to have, um, I I can't remember the book, but anyway, you you need, for example, you need, uh, sorry, you need magnesium in order for your body to absorb calcium. So it's not a question of increasing calcium unless you're also increasing magnesium. But if you're doing that individually, again, you it's almost impossible to know exactly what's in your body. So it's a question of if you're eating foods that are rich in both calcium and magnesium, the, the body will absorb what it needs. Nature packages it the best way. And your I body mean, knows what to do. I, I mean, I and the, and the body can handle that. And as I say, again, Dawn and I live in proof of that. And millions of others around the world, particular Buddhists and Hindus, you know, who live on vegetarian diets, you know, so <laughs> it's been going on for a long time. Um but as uh, I know, some people, I, I do quote him sometime, Dr. Sebi, which is, is very popular. I know he's not, he wasn't a real doctor, but uh, I liked one of the things he said when he said, uh, if nature don't make it, don't take it. And that's basically a nice, easy thing to remember. So, uh, <laughs> so yes, nutrition, I mean, other, yes, nutrition is very is important. If you can grow your own food, then you know exactly the, yeah. the quality of the soil and um, how you've looked after them and, you know, feeding them with the, the, the right nutrients. And then, you know, so I, which I think is the way that a lot of people are moving towards. And so if you are growing your own foods, the chances are that you will be looking after the soil. And it's not just the soil nutrients, it's the soil organisms. You need to make sure that's a healthy um uh, uh, the, the soil is healthy in, in all the different organisms and that's another problem of course with the idea of, you know that all these germs and different things are bad and so there's lots of things to kill all kill all the uh, so, yes yeah. kill, kill the, kills the soil and kills everything really yeah but um anyway so that's basically nutrition and why it's so important and how the lack of it Lack of proper nutrition, what, how it, the mechanism that works, and it's as we touched on toxins, it's it's the same. That with tox toxicity, which generally comes from outside the body, we come into contact, and we do list as many as we can in the book of all the different areas where toxic material can come, and that's putting aside anything that comes from uh, the pharmaceutical companies. You know, there is nothing good about uh, what the pharmaceutical companies produce you know they have to admit that they can't cure anything they've never cured anything Uh, they may ameliorate symptoms you know like taking uh, something for a headache but it doesn't cure anything they're very good with painkillers but none of the i mean you can take morphine you know and that's pretty good painkiller but it won't it won't cure what was causing the pain and you've still got to address that um so, and that's about all you can say. Um, you know, obviously, uh, they're good in A&E, you know, if you've been in a car crash and got broken limbs, and they can repair those. But as regards treating other illnesses, 
and restoring health, they, they, they are going to get in the way and they're going to hinder what the body needs to do. Um, and they will have to admit that they cannot cure anything. <laughs> They're very, so, good at, they're very good at, at killing things, though, aren't they? Um, yes, they're very good at that, yes. Everything so, they do. So certainly ph- pharmaceuticals are would be a source of uh, toxins, and that, yes. that's a toxic exposure. Let's go, let's go down some of the other toxins that the listener should probably be aware of, and I think part of it is tied to nutrition, because when you walk into a grocery store, certainly here in America, uh, probably 90% of that food is not whole food. Um, and probably contains toxins of some sort. So I would imagine that the, the yes. food that many people are eating is not nutritious, but uh, the, quite the opposite is simply toxic or poisoning you. Yeah. So what we, else we, do we have? I was going to say, well, we, we don't call those um, products um, food. We actually call them food products, you know, um, in inverted commas, because they are products. And if people actually looked at the list of ingredients, they'd see the number of chemicals that are in them and none of those chemicals are nutrients they have all kinds of functional purposes you know whether it's coloring or flavoring or even preservative and again that the idea of preservative is to kill the germs so yes again which and you have to say well why would you want to eat something that has something that that is known to be toxic because it it is designed to kill something that's alive and in fact our bodies have bacteria and therefore you know those preservatives are going to be killed they are going to be killing the bacteria that are actually within our bodies so again these chemicals that we discovered that are food additives they are allowed at levels that are considered safe but that again is another word that Only is by misused the that's another word that is completely misused because it is called safe um but it's only it's a relative term whereas the dictionary definition of safe is an absolute term it it means it will cause no harm whereas within the food industry it is well it's relatively stay safe as long as it's kept at a certain dose but these again these um chemicals are only tested individually they're never tested in combinations and they're almost certainly never tested in the combinations that people may have when they look at the whole basket of these food pro- manufactured processed food products so again it's, uh, and that, it's understanding and that's the key really and is... that's understanding that the you know that it's People have to look at food differently, and that's really going to be one, probably one of the hardest things for people to actually make changes. And but that's why we advise people not the easy – again, we try to make it simple – is don't eat processed food, yeah. even, even if it says vegan on it, because that's been the latest thing, hasn't it? You know, well, the, it's still processed food, isn't it? You know, unless <laughs> we often say to people, you know, if it's got labels on it, if the label says anything different to carrot – or turnip or cauliflower, then, you know, don't eat it. You know, if it's got more stuff on it where you can't even pronounce it, yeah. uh, let alone spell it, then it's processed food and, and don't eat it, you know. Um. <laughs> so other, other sources are things, uh, products that we use. Uh, these are things that we can actually do something about, and that's products that people use within the home for cleaning, whether it's cleaning um, the actual house, whether it's for um cleaning yourself you know personal care products and again this has become a huge industry and a lot of the uh, substances that they use within those products are harmful i mean you know there's um parabens and phthalates and all uh, all kinds of preservatives again 
the whole point of preservatives is so these these products don't sort of break down, you know, so they have a long shelf life, um, which is all very good for the industry. But of course, it's not very good for our bodies because the preservatives aren't aren't good for us. You know, they're they're chem- they're toxic, they're chemicals. And again, the the, the even, idea being even to, the, even the perfumes, you know, oh, perfumes are you, actually one of the worst those, things. Uh, they, one of the worst things, the perfumes, they're made the from very toxic, the chemical very toxic chemicals that uh, these uh, perfumes uh, you know it's such a such a nice word isn't it perfumes <laughs> everyone thinks of very expensive chanel or whatever but these perfumes they're chemicals and uh, when you look at what they are and the combinations of them they're really very toxic and people you know without thinking spray them all over their bodies and then when they get sick and particularly a family who's been using it or inhaling it someone's been lavish with their perfumes they've been spraying around and uh, then wonder why a family becomes sick and they've not really they never stop to consider what they've as Donna said in household products cleaning products personal care products the soaps and sprays that they use uh, let alone anything that may be sprayed outside from local farms or chemtrails or anything else and all of these things can lead to group sicknesses you know uh, which people Uh, don't think about Uh, as I often point out um, even your clothes you know what they're made from you know with the plastics and stabilizers in your clothes what they're cleaned with uh, particularly if you send them away for dry cleaning the chemicals are very harsh and I often tell the story of Liberace that uh, famous pianist who's no longer with us who almost died purely because the uh, of the chemicals in the very fancy suits that he used to wear on stage. And when he sweated, those chemicals were absorbed by his skin and were shutting down his kidneys. And he very nearly died. And that was just from how his clothes were cleaned. And so it's little things like this. You wouldn't think you could be poisoned by your clothes, but you can. So it's all of these things we talk about in the book to not to frighten people, but to inform them so they can start to be more aware of where toxicity comes from. You know, it's not as obvious as they might think sometimes. David, because you mentioned it, could you speak a little bit more on chemtrails? Because I'm seeing them every day over my house as I travel. I'm a musician, I'm on the road, and it seems like they are... uh, well, it doesn't seem like they are omnipresent. And yeah. that is a that touches a nerve when you bring it up um, in mixed company. And I would love to hear what you've discovered about what they are, where they come from, why they're there, how long they've been there, etc. Well, they've been around for quite a few decades, haven't they? And um, without going into too much detail, um, modern jet engines do not produce trails like that they do we've talked to pilots you know modern jet engines don't do that for a start so whatever's coming out of them is artificial and if you as i've done if you can see some of the lower flying ones where you can get a good pair of binoculars on them and have a closer look you will see that the trails are not coming from the engines at all they're coming from um which are obviously spray nozzles which are generally attached to either side of the main tail fin so they're not coming from the engines anyway um so you think well it's <laughs> what is it it's certainly uh, something artificial and something that they're not being honest about now some people have been able to take some samples of uh, some of the fallout from these things and there are certainly nanoparticles in them nanoparticles of aluminium 
and uh, I think it's barium and uh, uh, stuff that really shouldn't be there. I did come across where someone, because some of it had got dumped accidentally, this was in America, and they found that it was uh, fly ash, what's called fly ash, which is a byproduct of uh, burning coal, and it's trapped electrically as part of the process of uh, supposedly cleaning the exhaust out before it's released into the atmosphere. <laughs> and um, this fly ash, of course, contains all the most toxic materials from coal burning, you know, because there's some quite toxic things within coal. And if it's concentrated, um, so again, no business then distributing something which they know to be toxic to then distribute it into the atmosphere. <laughs> um, but they've been caught out doing this. So there's nothing natural about chemtrails. I know there are still lots of people, we come across them, who still think it's condensation. Uh, they don't seem to realise that uh, even if it was condensation, which it certainly isn't, you know, it doesn't go from horizon to horizon and then stay there all day, slowly spreading out until it blocks out the sun. You know, I mean, anyone who uses their brains a little bit would realise that can't be natural. And if they did a little bit of research, they would realise it's certainly not natural and that... Uh, as I say, modern jet engines do not produce trails like that. And I know when I've uh, examined, <clears throat> just speaking briefly, um, it's quite a legal piece of software where you can monitor planes, planes, you know, you can see. Now, all planes, aircraft, have to give out a call signal, which tells you what the aircraft is, where it's come from and where it's going and all sorts of other information. And... But if you try to monitor the ones that are doing the chemtrails, they're not putting out any signal at all, mm. which tells you straight away that they're either military or contracted to the military, and therefore it's secret operations. They're not commercial aircraft. Um, so uh, again, you know, there's something nefarious going on. So the whole chemtrail thing is, um, you know, they when they've been caught out, they try to tell us it's... Uh, just for weather modification, because the planet's heating up. Again, a load of nonsense. Um, but that's another story which we, we wouldn't have time to go into. But um, it, no, it's there. It's um, it, it's it's weaponizing what they're doing, and they know that they yes they can modify the weather with it, and along with harp and other methods, and they can weaponize it to create. Uh, weather patterns in other countries that are perhaps not complying with the main um, agenda. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm trying to trying to think of words that are not offensive. Well, uh, the, agenda. the main agenda, yes. I that, call it an agenda. Yes. You know, it's uh, the 2030 agenda, no, it, agenda 21. You know, let's use their word. It wasn't agenda that right. I was trying not right. to say. It was... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm trying not to call these people what they truly are. I'll call them monsters because um, that's not as offensive, but that's what they are. They are monsters, the people that are behind what's happening. And uh, the chemtrails are part of that agenda. The COVID is part of that agenda and all of these other things, which is all about world control, full spectrum domination, as they call it. Uh, but in particular, controlling the people. And that's where the the this health scam comes in is about controlling the people eliminating some because they already have in their th sorry in their thousands worldwide uh, the jabs have killed people undoubtedly and uh, these other programs are part of that control system so yeah chemtrails not good not natural 
and they're part of this uh, nefarious agenda, if that, if that in short answers your question. It does. Thank you very much for speaking on that. The, the chemtrails to me, geoengineering, cloud seeding, whatever you want to call it, is one of those topics that one, you know, some listeners, the knee jerk reaction will be that's a tinfoil hat type conspiracy. I think they need to understand that you can readily find documentation that supports the existence of this. It's yes. become more mainstream as a topic. I think this is one of those things that happens is they go, well, it seems like the public isn't going to push back. We can start to leak out just to, how much we're doing. We know that there are Middle Eastern countries that are using this technology to create rain when they have uh, periods of drought. I think there was a recent article that came out of Spain where they admitted that they're starting, they're spraying to combat COVID, I believe, um, taking actions by spraying the air. And what so one, I want the listener to know this is not tinfoil hat conspiracy. This is very real. This is a very real uh, event that's happening all the time across the globe. And two, if you are activist minded and you want to turn your attention and energies to something, this might be a good one because I look at some of these topics around what really makes you ill and I go, okay, these are the things I can control. What really incites anger in me are the exposures to the things that I don't have control of. And so things yes. like glyphosate now, and, you know, I'm in Vermont in, in one of the states in, uh, in America where we pride ourselves on farmlands and dairy farms and uh, farmers markets. And yet there is a prevalence of farms in this state that just wantonly spray glyphosate and that blows all over the land and it it uh, it gets into the water supplies of neighbors who are trying to you know just live a healthy life the chemtrails is another one where i look up in the air and i go i can't avoid that this isn't yeah. something that I can just uh, run into my basement and exist for the rest of my life so as to avoid it the only way to stop this is one to spread knowledge is to remove this knee-jerk reaction that it's a conspiracy theory. And then we need to find ways to activate to stop it or else we're all going to suffer. We all are suffering the consequences and we will continue to suffer the consequences. So this one you can tell I'm a little bit passionate about because yes, I, 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 yeah. I... Understandably. Um, but the reason for trying to take, or not for trying, but to do the best you can to take control of those aspects that you can control means that your body is likely less likely to be affected or will be less affected minimized yeah. so if you look after the body look after the, the aspects that you can control <laughs> if you look after the aspects you can control then those that you can't control will have less of an impact is really what I'm trying to say. But yes, I, I, absolutely. It's not to say that we have to ignore things like geoengineering uh, and you know the use of glyphosate and things like that. It is to, uh, to do the best we can with what we can, but to also, as you say, spread knowledge. The, the geoengineering um, is, is so hand in glove with this nonsense of the man-made um, global warming, climate change, whatever. And, and that, of course, is is very much part of the agenda. Uh, I don't know how Tim Fort Hat that, that still is, but, of course, the, the geoengineering uh, is, is coming more mainstream so that they can say what they are apparently doing to, to, to look after us and look after the planet and save it and all of that. But, of course, that is another lie. Um, but but these things are all are all interconnected because obviously the geoengineering programs are being um, 
rolled out and they are detrimental to our health as well so it's it's doing as much as you can and spreading information as much as you can so that people can have the information and then say well hang on a minute no I don't want to be sprayed and start finding ways to um, counter that well and we, we hope as well that the pilots of these planes are human beings after all we think sometimes and, I um, wonder that's right what the drone factor is right um, and that if the information gets to them, they may be in a position like doctors and virologists who can then seriously activate their conscience and stop doing what they're doing and find some alternative way that doesn't harm people. And this is this is the step change that we has to come about and, and is coming about with mm-hmm. this change in consciousness and the change in the way people understand what they are and the, the impact they have on everyone else, you know, because as we've often said, there is only one rule that people need to abide by, and that is do no harm. Mm. And so whatever you're doing, do whatever you like, as long as you're not causing any harm. Mm-hmm. So any of these pilots, doctors, virologists, or whatever they are, if they examine themselves to see, well, is what I'm doing causing harm? And if it is, then find a way to stop doing it. It's, just, it's very simple. Um and uh, these pilots flying these planes are no different. Now, I know a lot of them, as I've said, are obviously military, and so they're restricted as to what they can do, uh, but they have to find a way out. We've spoken to a number of military people over the last few years who've come out of the military and realise the bad things, shall we say, about the whole of the military, the industrial military complex, and the tentacles it has and the harm that it does. And uh, and again, soldiers, military people are human beings. And as they start to become enlightened too, they will either leave the service or not join it in the first place. Um, you know, and this is where true education it has its real power uh, when people are properly informed. Well, I appreciate you both pivoting back to the positive, Don. I also appreciate you bringing it back to terrain and empowerment. As you could tell, the uh, the tea kettle over here was starting to whistle. So <laughs> um, let's let's hope this next topic doesn't uh, achieve the same results. Electromagnetic radiation exposure was that third okay. category yeah. that we should be aware of that can that can make us ill. Let's talk yeah. about that. Okay. Well, uh, as people probably know, I'm a retired electrical engineer, so it's uh, something that's of particular interest to me and has been for a number of years. And, uh, you know, I, I have the meters to be able to test areas and see what sort of EMFs are being given out. So, yes, unfortunately, we as human beings now live in a, a fog of, uh, of electromagnetic radiation. But the only thing we can do, and it's quite important, is to minimize our exposures so we can and we can do this by i know we've all got cell phones but we can use our cell phones always as hand free you know never put it to your head you know you're putting a powerful radio transmitter right next to your brain Um, we advise people with uh, bluetooth earpieces you know i I had some very nice ones (laughs) Um, but when i measured the amount of energy they put out electrical energy um I was horrified. So they had to go back in their box and I've never used them again, which is a great shame. So they were very useful. But, you know, when you consider you're putting a radio transmitter in your head when it's stuck in your ear. um, So we advise people use wired ones, you know, don't use wireless ones. So there's lots of things. Um, Cordless telephones, you know, 
when I tested them, uh, nice to walk around the house. Um, but the base station transmits so much energy, it's really detrimental. So again, all mine went in the bin. Nothing wrong with them as, as regards work, but you, you have to make decisions. Um, so it's when you say when you say detrimental, let's can you explore that just a little bit? What are some yes. of the deleterious effects of the constant exposure to non-native EMF? Okay, um, well, as probably people know, um, the body has an electrical system as well as a chemical system. Although doctors don't seem to know that or understand that. Uh, and the pharmaceutical companies certainly don't because all everything they produce are to, to address chemicals, aren't they? The chemical side of the body, nothing to address the electrical side of the body. Well, the body does have an electrical side. It's very subtle and extremely important. You know, the heart, brain, everything is dependent on it. And there's a definite interaction between the chemical side of the body and the electrical side of the body. And in basic terms, if you think about it, um, we've all experienced uh, electrical interference, you know, which might be our transistor radio and someone's operating a power tool in the near vicinity, which might be unsuppressed. And so it's putting out a lot of electrical interference. Not you can see it or hear it, but it will affect your radio and you may get all sorts of crackles and whistles and interference. Um, well, that's really the same thing that happens to your body. EMFs, these external electromagnetic fields, which are produced by all electrical things of varying strengths, will affect and can affect your very subtle electrical system. Again, like the radio can be interfered with by an external electric drill, your body can be interfered with and it can disrupt um, either at a small level by interfering with uh things like the production of melatonin, which in itself is the body's, one of the body's main antioxidants and can affect uh, your sleep and all sorts of things. And it's been shown that uh, EMFs can affect the production of that. So it can affect, uh, again, that's why then it can affect your sleep or you can end up with tinnitus and headaches and all sorts of things. But it can also disrupt the nervous system. You can, it can affect the brain so that uh, you can get what people have experienced, what they've called brain fog, where they can't seem to think clearly. I've experienced this myself in uh, electrical control rooms in, uh, mm. in industry, where the EMFs being emitted in a big control room uh, were obviously so powerful that um, I literally had severe brain fog. I had to get out of the... I couldn't think properly, you know, I could tell it was, it was really quite severe. I had to get out of the control room. So... Um, and to a lesser degree, people can experience this. Um, I'm trying to get the opportunity to test, do some tests on uh, electrical cars because mm. the all-electric cars obviously put out uh, quite high electromagnetic fields. And I want to try and get the opportunity to do some tests in an all-electric car whilst it's running and see, I suspect, there will be quite high electromagnetic fields that people are sitting in for probably hours on end, mm -hmm. which could imagine the situation of then having brain fog and crashing into something at high speed. Uh, so it, it requires to be looked at. Um, so I'm, uh, I can't afford one of these uh, all-electric cars. They're hugely expensive, aren't they? Well, it's uh, particularly important as there's a, a major push to transition everyone to electric cars. Yeah. So, exactly. so I, I think there's some uh, safety issues need to be looked at there. 
You know, mm. they undoubtedly put out high magnetic fields. Um, I, I need to see what the levels are, and then um, I may be able to say something public about, publicly about it. One so, of the things, of course, mm. with um, EMFs is that the mechanism does involve the generation of um, increased levels of free radicals. Yeah. So, again, you've got the... Uh, a similar mechanism with you know the same with sort of uh, inadequate nutrition the same with toxins I mean just about every toxin we were looking at um, we found that there was an association with the increased generation of free radicals and therefore oxidative stress same thing with EMF there's there's quite a lot of evidence that links um, increased EMF uh, exposure to uh, EMFs and increased levels, uh, increased generation of free radicals, which again cause damage unless you've got um, unless you've got a, a, an increased intake of uh, antioxidants to absorb them. I mean, you might be able to to sort of you know short for a short period of time, but when you're exposed to these things all the time, you you really need to. Again, this is why the focus on on nutrition and uh, antioxidant level, um, but also minimising as as much as you can because you can't necessarily absorb the sort of that level of antioxidants all the time. So again, it's it's a similar mechanism which we found fascinating that sort of works. Um, and again, that it's also connected to the pH level of the body as well. And um, acid, uh, the more acid sort of the body is, the more likely to have um, health problems. And again, it's sort of restoring balance to a slightly alkaline. alkaline. As you, I believe, as you pointed out, and correct me if I'm wrong, but just the act of vigorous exercise will yeah. create free radicals. So it's, yeah. you know, we, we bandy about these terms and these words, like what is you know, harmony and balance are words. But if you're already ostensibly going through a natural process exercise is healthy exercise is encouraged so you're it's like ben has said death by a thousand cuts it's like you're already there's already healing and repair that has to happen in a normal natural cycle of being a living creature but all these non-native not man-made toxic chemicals are just stacking up more and more and more and more degradation so I just wanted to add that into the conversation that free radicals are our natural process that our bodies use to challenge ourselves. So we have something to push back against, perhaps. Uh, they're, they're produced by ordinary metabolism, um, but right. they're in, they're produced in larger quantities with exercise, and that's possibly why you know uh, extreme athletes have health problems. I mean, maybe they're addressing certain aspects of their diet, but unless their antioxidant level is extremely high, they're not necessarily going to be absorbing all those that excess free rad. I'm not not saying that exercise isn't good, yes, but you have to know that the full, everything that you need to do to make sure that your body can actually handle that level of exercise. And again, exercise is good, but you need to understand yeah, I mean, how we, the body works. We quote, yeah, yeah. Uh, we quote Dr. Russell Blaylock in our book, who is a, a neurologist. Neurosurgeon. And, a, a neurosurgeon. I get retired now, but he's still around. And um he makes that very point about vigorous exercise producing uh, more free radicals and advises people to then up up their intake of nutrients, yeah. you know, yeah. whereas they may just go, well, I'll just get some more water, you know, I've sweated right, a lot right. and take water, right. but you need, that's not going to get rid of the free radicals. So you, but they could drink uh, good natural fruit juices, you know, one is yeah. it will quench their thirst and two is it will mop up the free radicals from the excess exercise that they've done so once you know how the body works it's easy to 
to maintain it properly, to maintain the terrain uh, mm-hmm. that we we started out talking about. Mm-hmm. So, but yes, Dawn's absolutely right. We we find that the common denominator for all uh, illnesses that affect the body are the bottom mechanism is this production of free radicals, which can be damaging at cellular and tissue levels. So whether it's lack of nutrition, whether it's excessive exercise, whether it's toxins, whether it's EMFs, and as we'll come on to, whether it's stress, the mechanism that is damaging is the overproduction of free radicals. Uh, So if you keep a check on the, the four factors that we talk about, then you will, your body will be able to uh, control and deal with uh, any excesses of free radicals and then prevent any illness occurring and certainly any chronic illness, um, you know, such as cancers or tumours of various sorts. Um, so I don't know whether I've said enough about EMFs um, I, or if there's anything yes, else we, we, to we can we, we can move on. I think there, there was one point I wanted to make about both EMFs and some of the, the toxins and also the, the new nutrition or lack of nutrition that we have available to us or pushed upon us. And that is the hurdle that we ask the uninitiated listener to jump over is uh, that these exposures through Apple Air, you know, AirPods, um, wireless cellular signals, glyphosate, things that have (laughs) are regulated and have been proven safe how you know how can this how can this happen that that what folks like yourself are saying and others are saying is like no no these are actually incredibly can be incredibly toxic and yet we have regulatory agencies that exist to prevent our exposure to these things how can this come to be well if if i mention the regulatory industry uh for emfs um it's quite simple when you look at it you, and this is obviously deliberate is they only take account of the heating effect of electromagnetic frequencies. Now, there has been many, and I do mean many, when I, I mean hundreds of scientists, and uh, if anyone wants to look at what was called the Bio-Initiative Report of 2012, which is, and there's hundreds of scientists that uh, were part of that, and they show that the heating effect that damage occurs to the cells long before there is any heating effect taking place. And, of course, there are vested interests, not least of which are the military and the telecommunications industry, who lobby uh, governments to keep it set abnormally high because they can then say, well, we meet all the regulations, you know. Well, yes, they do, because the regulations are ridiculous. They... As I've said, they're they're set at a level of when basically your cells have got to be microwaved, you know, in the same way as when you put if you put something in a microwave oven. Well, as I say, the damage has occurred. There is no actual safe level, you know. There will damage will occur when your cells are irradiated. Some damage will occur. It's just a case of how much and whether the body can then <clears throat> repair it. Now, keeping a healthy body, it, it's an amazing thing. The body is and kept healthy with all the four factors that we mentioned, um, it will repair and it will keep repairing. Uh, but of course, like anything, it can be overwhelmed. So if it's the double whammy of you're not taking care of the four factors and you're being exposed to excessive levels of any of these things, whether it's toxins or EMFs or stress, um, the body can be overwhelmed, uh, of course. So you just have to be aware of it. 
Um, back, back to the, back to the empowerment and appreciate that. And, yeah. and on to, on to the fourth category. And this is a big one. This is stress. Yeah. And, uh, one of the, uh, there's been no, no shortage of say findings, studies, uh, surveys that point to the increase, the global increase in stress, anxiety, depression, fear that we've all faced in the last two years. Um, and we can talk about uh, how intentional that is or not. I, I know like the WHO put out a, a survey and said as much as 25% increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression. Not that I trust anything that, that comes out from them, but um, <laughs> this is a big one that you would categorize stress as uh, one of the fourth category that mm. causes illness. Proceed. Yeah, we we the, we use the word stress, but I mean, as you say, you know, it, it covers a, a lot of other um, condition. Well, I, I don't know, a lot of other sort of uh, states. Uh, so that's fear, anxiety, depression. You mm-hmm. know, um, I, I think we, we're going to have to coin a term that just sort of covers all of them because it's it is all encompassing. It's not just the stress of oh, you know, oh, I've, I've got a Russian, ca- you know, I'm running late, I'll miss the bus or whatever, you know. Right, it's right. not just that. You know, there are everyday sort of stresses that you know they're temporary and you know as soon as natural. as soon as you've caught the as soon as you've caught the bus, you know, you're fine, you, you calm down. But sure. it's when it's persistent when it's persistent as as has been happening over the past two and a half years it's been persistent and it keeps increasing uh in uh, intensity and of course keeps people in that state of fear which again is all part of it yes the this mechanism is the same for for this stress whether it's anxiety depression it's again the same mechanism of the increased generation of free radicals as well as the increased generation of, of certain hormones, you know, we have the, uh, the sort of the other, the hormone sort of level of stresses where the body will produce uh, increased sort of cortisol, if, you know, the fight or flight, you know, so if, if you've got to run, the body will sort of shut down all its other functions so that it gives you the, the um, adrenaline so you can actually run away from some kind of danger. But the point of that is that when the danger has gone, the the levels will return to normal because the body is not always producing adrenaline or cortisol. Everything's kept in a balance, so it's um, and they're balanced between each other. So there's you know there's a certain level where it'll increase the production and then it'll reduce the production. So it comes back, the body comes back to homeostasis. Now again, in certain situations where artificial synthetic hormones are given that isn't taken into account so again that that can can disrupt the body so if if certain hormones are given to um uh, deal with certain sort of stress you know stress related conditions should we say or labels that are given to these stress related conditions they aren't allowing the body to restore its own balance they're sort of overriding the body's own ability and that's why these conditions aren't aren't actually resolved but again they're only dealing with the symptoms they're not dealing with the underlying cause and the underlying cause may not have anything to do with the actual specific substance that's being um, produced you know correcting that substance isn't isn't the cause you know it's like dealing with inflammation inflammation isn't the cause it's what is underlying the reason you know the underlying reason for the inflammation to have been produced so again it's the underlying reason for these hormones to have been produced and this is again where we come to the the fear the stress whatever it is you know because it does have uh, the, these conditions do have an act a physiological effect in the body you know it can 
change um, the body we, at a cellular it's level. As we said earlier, you know, stress has a psychological effect as, and a physiological effect. And the physiological effect is, as Dawn said, it's the overproduction of free radicals. And that's why psychological stress can cause physical damage. Um, and that's the mechanism. Uh, as I say, it's the common denominator out of why people become ill. It's the common denominator, free radicals. Overproduction of free radicals is the common denominator. And the four factors are what you need to address to minimize that so that it's kept, <clears throat> the body can be kept in homeostasis, which it's perfectly able to do despite all the uh, assaults that are presented to it. Um, you know, uh, because health is a natural thing. Health is natural. Becoming ill, for any reason, is unnatural. You know, you should be able to stay healthy and live a, a long and healthy life. Um, it's only because of these uh, factors that we've been talking about which don't get addressed and the, basically the poisoning that uh, the whole world goes through. Um, not least of which is from vaccinations, you know, where people think that's something that's actually going to protect them and actually makes them ill. Um, I know we've not talked about vaccinations as such, but um, it's just another way that the pharmaceutical companies get toxic material into your body if you're unfortunate enough to have any of those things. Um, so, and then, and then and then profit off of the medications uh, they give you to address the exactly. direct effect, as you would call it. Yes. Yes, oh, and, yes, it, and it it's, a, it's a nice business model, really. Mm. It's, it's, an business model. it's to keep selling your customers something that which will keep them returning to buy mm. even more until they eventually die. Um, but you've got plenty more customers then to, to sell your poisons to. So stress, uh, there are ways that we can mitigate the input that would cause stress. Like for me, I know the main one was I'm going to get rid of cable because I don't want to watch any of this news because I am very tuned in now to the way it makes me feel, which is fearful uh, yeah. and stressed and anxious. So cutting off those inputs while maybe maintaining some sort of line so that you, that you are informed, I would say maybe the people around us as well who might cause us stress and anxiety um, be a little more uh, calculating and who we might surround ourselves with. What are some other ways that, that maybe you to mitigate the uh, inputs of stress and then also what would you advise to address that well spending time outside in nature in in you know if you can um and to uh, take the time out as it were i mean that that's one of the things you know the medical industry sort of you know give people things to stop the symptoms so they can carry on with their day and that's mm. the complete opposite of you know people should be uh, recognizing what the symptoms are, but but taking time out to rest, which allows the bo their body to heal them to heal itself. At the same time, taking time out outside to just sit quietly, to to think, to contemplate, to just slow everything down. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. And and that will also have very much uh, sort of physical grounding, physiological grounding yourself as well. well. That as well yeah. It's it's good to get your shoes and socks off and connect directly with the earth. Because again, because the body has an electrical system and an electrical charge can build up in your body. We've measured this. I can measure it with my meters and see how it discharges almost instantly when you mm. ground bare feet to the earth because the earth has got a charge of its own mm. and uh, it will dissipate that electrical charge. You know, it can be a hundred volts or more, quite 
surprising mm-hmm. between your head and your feet and you can get rid of that now that is all causing stress on the on the body that electrical charge so that's something you can do anytime as many times as you like getting out in the fresh air getting out in the sunshine exposing your body to the sun um, because the sun is a is not our enemy as the pharmaceutical companies would have us believe it's our friend it's very natural and it also helps the body uh, to detox it will induce detoxification uh, by exposing your body to natural sunlight you know i'm not suggesting that people should go and fry themselves you know yeah. uh, do it gradually you yeah, know your, your body will build up a tan uh, which is its own natural protection if you do it gradually uh, you don't need to slop all these uh, pharmaceutical products de- all over your de- body definitely because they're toxic too they're toxic and, and unnecessary if you if you're careful uh, but it's very necessary to expose as much of your body as you can, as I often say, without getting arrested, um, <laughs> to, <laughs> to enjoy the sunshine um, as, as often as you can. So these are, and these are all de-stressors as well. But, but, also but I think once you, yes, mm. with the right people, oh, yes, as you yes, mentioned, yes. some mm. people are stressful, uh, are stressors as well, and you have to recognize this, and you have to be self-considerate what we call self-considerate it's not being selfish it's being self-considerate uh, because if you become ill and inoperative then you're no use to anyone so you have to be self-considerate so that you can keep doing the things you want to do um, so these are all, all things you know so again attending to the four factors removing the fear of all things because i think correct education being correctly informed um, helps to remove lots of fear you know um, and uh, so very important to become become wise and uh, and that in itself will remove fear. So there's a, a number of things, none of which have to cost you lots of money. They're all very simple and straightforward. And, um, and, rea- and to start as we try to get to people is to start to realize your true power. People don't realize how powerful they are mm. because they're taught from a very early age right through all their school you know we're taught that we're fairly insignificant you know that we're just a cog in the wheels you know even when we talked about and this may shock some people even when we talk talk, talked about evolution you know we're taught that we sort of evolved from pond scum millions of years ago and slowly evolved into mankind and yet when you look at that scientifically which we have there's no if you try to follow the fossil record through, there is none. You know, there is no fossil record that shows that something millions of years ago evolved from the seas and evolved into a fish, which evolved into finally an elephant or a giraffe or an ostrich. There is no fossil record for any of that, let alone the fossil record of uh, this uh, fish-like creature evolving into mankind. It's just not there. So which then begs the question, well, where did we come from? What mm-hmm. are we? And that's that's a great mystery. There are answers to it. And uh, many of the religions try to answer some of those questions, most of them unsuccessfully. But uh, there are gems of information in all religions. But, you know, human beings are fantastic. It's just that we're told that we're not. We're told that we're insignificant and that it didn't, doesn't really matter whether we cease to exist. You know, we're just some biological accident. Well, none of that is true. It's not true at all. And when people realize this and start to feel their true power, again, that's very liberating. And 
fears disappear when they start to grow into their true being, their true power. So, uh, And when you do that, you find that you do attract like-minded people to you. And that, again, is uh, helps to increase the feeling of uh, self-empowerment and and you know it's it's all part of a journey that that keeps improving and and amazing things happen when you uh, allow yourself to have these experiences um and it's it's not again it's not a sort of a you know there's an end an end goal as it were it's all part of learning and growing and developing and understanding um so as we learn more we discover there's more to learn uh, it doesn't mean that we don't know anything, but we just keep learning and keep growing and but keep I think developing. Th- this is a very important time for humanity as a whole, and it's been brought to a head by this uh, coronavirus nonsense. So, you know, it's, I often borrow the words of Charles Dickens, you know, in his book, uh, Tale of Two Cities, where he opens with, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. And that's exactly what we're in. It looks like the worst of times, but it's actually the best of times because it's Waking, it's awoken more people than ever before. It's an opportunity. And it's a real opportunity mm-hmm. to change the, the life of humanity as a whole forever. A chance that we've never had before. Whenever we look back in history, there has always been the oppressors, you know, the people with the most money and the most weaponry. <laughs> and nothing has changed, really, just, just on scale. Well, now we have an opportunity for the people worldwide to actually become awake and aware of what they truly are, which is magnificent, and to take back the power to themselves and take it away from these despots and these tyrants that have always had control. And Because we're living under a tyranny at the moment worldwide. I think anyone who knows anything will realise that. And it's getting worse. So the people need to take back through knowledge and through being able to not take part in the lie, to use the words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Just don't take part in the lie. We're not asking for armed insurrection. In fact, we're saying we definitely don't want that. But don't take part in the lie. Just learn to say no to these any of these ridiculous measures. And uh, if enough people do that, it will all change. And, uh, and that's really the opportunity we have now and what we encourage people to do through shows like yours and uh, various other people that we talk to. And we can do it. I'm very optimistic. We can do it. We have the opportunity and we can make a lasting change for humanity as a whole. Well, very well said, David. And uh, would that we had endless time to discuss these, these issues and also to uh, unravel the mysteries of which you speak. But we don't, and therefore we'll come to our end here with a couple questions. One of those we like to ask of our guests, what are, since we're speaking of terrain, what are those non-negotiables in your day, the daily habits that you do to tend to your terrain or optimize your terrain? Okay, well, f- for me, as, as probably people have guessed, you know, I'm plant-based diet, so, <clears throat> you know, I don't, both for health reasons and ethical reasons, would not want to take part in anything where something has to be killed so that I can have a dinner. It's unnecessary as well as unhealthy. So uh, that's a non-negotiable. I, I won't take part in that. Uh, obviously, don't take part in any pharmaceutical products at all. You know, nothing. Um and, you know, to, to help minimize any toxic exposure, you know, I look for even whether it's getting rid of my very nice uh, Bluetooth earphones or, well, you know, you just have to make decisions, you know, is your health important or not? And, uh, 
and so you, you look for these things and look for ways to minimize your exposure. So these are, I guess, are non-negotiables for me in, in short without boring people with a great long list of things. Um, for me, the non-negotiables, again, you know, what I eat, what I put in and on my body. Um, and also because I know of the sort of stress aspect is to try and catch myself if I'm feeling um, either stressed out or I get sort of angry or whatever. Just it, It's not denying it, but just to try and sort of um, look at it differently, trying to not always, you know, well, it's just finding ways to uh, understand the sort of experiences and, and what's happening and to keep expecting things to to change for the better. Um, so I suppose it's really kind of, you know, a general, um, you know, the four factors really kind of, but not obsessing. And one of the most important things is is not to be obsessive about what you're doing. Yes, you are allowed to treat yourself and have you know the odd uh, <laughs> things that you you know yeah you can you can have chocolate yeah. go and have a beer yeah you know. <laughs> uh, but if, if you're you know if you're sort of attending to everything else then you know you can have those sorts of things and I think that's one of the reasons that many people may have problems with the sort of dietary things because they think they're denying themselves and mm -hmm. if you think you're denying yourself something then you've already got a mental kind of block against it or you're uh, maybe resenting what you're eating it's to understand you know to, to, to really try and enjoy life uh, as much as possible yes it looks pretty horrible um and but it's not to draw so, yourself so, into all the doom and gloom not to as you say not to expose yourself to what's going on in these sort of scare stories not to be drawn into it to understand what it is just say it's another scare story and help people see that it's a scare story and just you know but reality minimize the effect without going into it because it's a separate subject and a separate book uh, uh, the nature of reality <clears throat> when people understand what the nature of reality truly is because it's nothing like people think it is or the purpose of life and all that sort of thing what we are then they start to realize that the their experiences are a feedback system mm. and we are telling ourselves something with all our experiences that we have and they're personal to each of us. We're telling ourselves something. And if we listen to what we're trying to tell ourselves and then we can modify our behavior of what we do, what we think. Um, but it goes a lot further than that. As I say, we are as humans, we are magnificent and that's all part of what the nature of reality is. And that gives you, real power uh, and also shows people that no matter what the situation might look like worldwide we can change it we the people can change it and that's there's real power in that that's not just a uh, sort of um, pie in the sky stuff this is this is the only way the changes will come about through the people and we have the power to do it well said both of you <clears throat> lastly where's the best place for people to find and follow you learn more about you uh, okay well our well, website uh, is what really makes you um we have um a few blog articles our video interviews are up there we have a members area for um you know people to subscribe on a monthly basis that they have access to um at the moment audio versions of our interviews um there's also the audiobook version that people, uh, sorry, the, the audio version of the book that people can access only from our website. 
um, the physical paperback book, obviously, from uh, online booksellers. And, of course, you know, the main one is Amazon. Um, I know a lot of people don't like it, but... Uh, you know, sometimes we have to use these things well, all, all for book, our own benefit. All books know? end up on Amazon. It doesn't matter where they start. They always end up there. Unless they're um, banned. Well, unless they're banned. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but they always end up there. But, uh, uh, yeah, and there's a newsletter that people can subscribe to if they wish so that we keep them up to date of what's going off, uh, including uh, the live talks as we – at the moment we only travel around the UK, but uh, we're hoping that we'll be able to visit America um, – in the not too distant future but only if they stop all the ridiculous regulations which we will not comply with never have never will so once they stop all that which we're expecting to do by the end of the year uh, we're hoping that we'll be coming over to america and visiting a few places there to do some talks as well and uh, meet people for real which is always good well, um, with any luck our, our paths will cross when you make that trip across the pond love to do that uh, Don and David, thank you so much for being so giving of your time and, and your wisdom and your research. And uh, we, we appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts, all that you have done and continue to do. You are leaders in, in this overall movement. And, uh, and we thank you. Well, thank you. Thank so you very much. much. I mean, that, that's just lovely. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> truly, truly heartwarming. Thank you very much. We look forward to the next conversation. Yes, mm, absolutely. Me too. Hey everyone, it's Ben. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. Head over to whatreallymakesyouill.com to learn more about Don and David and grab a copy of their book. It's deep, it's dense, and it's thorough. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving a review. It costs nothing but a moment of your time and it might just help change a life for the better. Nothing you heard here should be taken as medical advice as neither Mike nor I are medical professionals. Remember that you are light, you are love, and you are your primary healthcare provider. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you on the next one. Mm-hmm.